book of 2 Chronicles, chapter 20, is where we left off last week. Now, last week we started a small series on how we are to respond to a crisis. And I'm sure that many of us have gone through crisis, tragedies, difficult times that we have faced in our lives. And if we continue to live, most likely we're going to run into another one, if not a couple more, before the Lord comes back or he brings us home. But we've been looking at the example of King Jehoshaphat. Now, just to kind of bring you up to date on where we left off last week, um, in response to a crisis, King Jehoshaphat, he was a good and godly king. What we find out a little bit about him back in chapter 17 and verse 3, it says, Now the Lord was with Jehoshaphat because he walked in, he walked, um, in the former ways of his father David and did not seek the Baals or the false gods, or he did not, he did not chase after idols, but he sought the, he, he sought the God of his father and walked in his commandments and, uh, and not according to the acts of Israel. Therefore, the Lord established the kingdom in his hand. So he was a godly king, one who feared God, did what God called him to do, followed the commands of God, and he was also someone who had experienced the benefits of walking with God because God established his kingdom. This was part of his day-to-day -day life was one that always sought the face of God and, and held God in regard in everything that he did. So Jehoshaphat was a godly king. And also remember that he had, in, he had inaugurated and started public instruction in the law by sending out prophets and priests to go teach the law of God so that people were not ignorant about their expectations when it came to their lives before God and how they were supposed to act and behave. And he also came back from a battle and he established judges within the land and giving them strict instruction to make sure that they judged according to the way that God would judge, judge fairly, judge right, do not take bribes. And this was part of his building the kingdom. He sought to please God in everything that he did. And now we see he's in a time of crisis. Remember the crisis was what? The crisis was whenever the uh, the Ammonites, the Edomites, the people of Mount Seir, the people from over, um, over in Syria, they had joined forces to come and attack Jehoshaphat. Now, as you see right here, according to this, this is, this is the, the biggest um, uh, way that we can illustrate this, is that they had already infiltrated Judah, and they were already in Engedi, which is halfway to Jerusalem. Okay, the army is there, is set in place, and they are ready to fight. And this is whenever Jehoshaphat finds out about it. He's, they're, in, they're in his backyard. They're knocking on his door. They've got the element of surprise, and he is in a position where he's got no time to react. He can't build an army. He can't send out for allies, for people to come and join him in the battle and help. Okay, he's in a de very desperate situation, and he even recognizes that uh, as we see further along in his prayer. Um, so, but also we saw the reaction that Jehoshaphat did. And what we see in verse 3 is that Jehoshaphat feared and he set himself to seek the Lord. That's going to be your number one step, not only in a time of crisis, but especially in a time of crisis. Seek the Lord first. And a lot of times whenever we are surprised with something or something blindsides, just like this army did to Jehoshaphat and the people of Judah, a lot of times we have a knee-jerk reaction. We do what we think might be right without seeking God's direction first. So Jehoshaphat gives us a really good example, even as the king of his people, he didn't do a knee-jerk reaction. He did what he had been, been, been training himself to do and the people of Judah to do, was to always seek the face of God. So whenever it came known to him, 
that people were in his backyard wanting to beat him up and take him down, he set himself to seek the Lord. So always make sure that we set yourself to seek the Lord, but it also caused a chain reaction in the people of Judah. They also gathered together in Jerusalem at the temple in order to do what? To seek help from God. Do you think that some of the education and in, in instruction in the law helped the people understand what they were expected to do whenever times like this happened? So this wasn't something that, that um, the Jehoshaphat just did. It wasn't like a crisis came knocking on his door and then he decided to turn to God like a lot of us tend to do. We don't seem to talk to God until we actually need him for something. But this was a part of Jehoshaphat, the Jehoshaphat's life is that he always sought the Lord and his natural reaction whenever a crisis came was just like it was every other day. He sought the Lord. Okay, so this was a, this was a foundational thing that he had already had in place before the crisis came. So I, will, I would encourage you, okay, getting close to the Lord during a time of crisis is good, but you're going to be much better prepared for it if you're already there when it happens. And that's where Jehoshaphat was, and that's where he had prepared Judah in the instruction in the law. So, um, so we see the chain reaction where the people of Judah, they came and they gathered together. And once he, once he was there in the midst of the congregation of the people of God before them, he did not try to play the big tough king and try to give instruction and try to tell people to calm down, everything is fine. Absolutely not. He did what he claimed he was going to do, was to seek the face of God. He humbled himself before God and the people of Judah, and he cried out to God. He said, God, we need your help. And notice within the context of his prayer that he sought the Lord's face. He sought God's face. He sought out the Lord. And the first thing he did is he recognized who God was. He recognized God in relation to who the army was. This army was too big for him to handle. It was a problem that was bigger than, than it was going to definitely take him out if something did not happen. But he recognized God's size as opposed to the size of the army. Therefore, he cried out to God, say, God, it's like you are above all kingdoms and all nations. There is nobody, there's nobody who has the might that you have. So he recognized who God is. And that's something we need to understand when we're facing our lives, and especially in times of crisis, no matter what you face, God is bigger. God is bigger. And he can handle it. Okay, so that's why we seek him. That's why we don't seek other, other sources and, and worldly sources. Our number one source in a time of crisis, we seek God's help because we need God's direction. So not only do they recognize who God was, but they recognize what God had done. They also recognize the fact that God was the God who, gave, who, who got them out of Egypt and who had given them the land in which they were settled. They were living in a land that God promised them. They drove out the inhabitants of that land and God had given them the dirt that they were standing on. Say, God, you gave us this dirt. We know what you can do. And now we've got these armies that, um, that we did not invade, that we did not take out by force whenever we came to this land. But you instructed us to go through them without harassing them. And actually, the Edomites wouldn't even let us pass through their land. But you still wouldn't let us attack. You made us go around them. And now here they are on our back door wanting to thank us in such a way to bring a fight to our homeland. So they recognize who God was, what he can do, or what he has already done. And then they establish their commitment, which this is really big. They establish their commitment that no matter what happens, whether it's pestilence, whether it's sword, whether it's judgment, we are going to stand in your presence at this temple. And we are going to cry out to you in our affliction, 
and you will hear and you will save. That is what he, that's, that's what their prayer was. That's what Jehoshaphat spoke before the people. God, we are here. You've given us this land. You've told us to take it. We're standing firm in your presence no matter what happens. We're here. We're crying out in our affliction. Now we're depending on you. And then finally, he actually describes what is actually going on within his prayer. He talks about the problem. Yes, the armies are here and we need help. And in verse 12, it's kind of like the key verse that I really like to go back to. It says, O our God, will you not judge them? For we have no power against the great multitude that is coming against us, nor do we know what to do. But our eyes are upon you, exactly where they should be. They're not trying to figure everything out because they understand that the multitude is against them is too big for them to handle. It is certain death or captivity for the people of Judah unless something else happens. Not a good situation, right? No, I mean, it looks almost impossible. And in fact, it is impossible unless God does something. So does God do something? This is kind of where we left them off in verse 13. It says, Now went, it says, now all Judah with their little ones and their wives and their children, they stood before the Lord almost like they're waiting. So it's almost like a time, it's kind of a silence happens here in verse 12. But something I need you to understand and see here, why did they go to God in prayer? Because they got a mean, nasty army that is huge, probably the size of 500,000 to a million soldiers who are in their land knocking on their back door. And you have their men with their little ones, their wives, and their children standing before God. What I want you to see is that they're not running. They're not panicking. A lot of people would look at the situation as if these men were crazy, putting their children and their families at risk by standing in the presence of God. But I want you to understand that takes a very strong confidence of where they are and who they are standing with for them to stand there at the congregation of God, at the temple, in God's presence, under the certain circumstances in which they are, but they're fulfilling what they told God they're going to do. We're standing here. We're crying out to you in our affliction. You will hear and you will save. So that's where we left them hanging last week. So the army is still there. The threat is still there. So what do we need to do? But another thing I also want us to see is that they are standing in, in obedience to God. Now, God has not instructed them yet as far as what to do concerning the threat, correct? But yet they are standing firm in that land. Why? Because this is the land that God commanded them to go and to possess. If they would have ran and abandoned the land that God had given them, they would have been acting in disobedience to what God has already said. He said, take this land, this is for you. And abandoning what God has already said is never, is never, the, um, is never the answer. Whenever you get faced with a crisis, we don't abandon the truth about what God's word says because we can justify it by, by these other means. We always stand firm on what God has already said. Now, whenever we are faced with something new like the children of Israel, or the, children of the people of Judah are now, we may have to have some more instruction. We may have to do a little bit more digging, but however... They are standing firm because they trust what God has already said. So now what do they do with this threat? So now they have prayed and now that we are here. Now, um, something else that I would like before we get too far into, into our lesson today. Last week what we talked about was kind of a response to the, um, is a response to the uh, a situation. There we go. 
get me cleared back up. Um, as a response, and now today we're going to be kind of talking about what to do to get through it. Okay, so now we've initiated, the, the crisis has been initiated, they've identified it, they have act, acted properly, so now what are you going to have to do to get through it? Now, but first, whenever it comes to a crisis, I think there's something that we always need to have an understanding of. We need to kind of sit back and take a look at things objectively and see where we are and maybe why. We always like to have the answer of why am I going through what I am going through. Okay, there's, there's, there's a couple possibilities here. Now, I'm going to repeat myself because I know I've said this before. But however, at a time of crisis, one thing is it may be, it may be where God needs you to be in order to strengthen you and to prepare you for future reason. It may be, you may have to go through suffering in order for God to receive honor and glory in the future. And we should definitely be willing and ready to do that. It could be part of God's plan for us to go through something. And we see, we see that God does not um, exempt himself from this at all. Because Jesus Christ came and he suffered and he bled and he died on the cross for the sin of mankind in order that the ultimate good that would come out of that is that he would have a people whom he would be able to redeem. Those who would choose to surrender their lives to him and, and repent of their sins and choose him, then they too would be, be saved. And we see that... Um, that during this, during this process, whenever Jesus was um, arrested in the Garden of Gethsemane and Peter saw the crisis, what did he do? He drew the sword, didn't he? And he cut off Malchus's ear. Now, I don't think he was going for his ear. No. I think he was going for his head. Okay? And he whiffed, or Malchus is just really quick. and Maybe, maybe not quick enough. But however... He either whiffed or he's an amazing swordsman. <laughs> if he was aiming for the ear and he got it, that's, that's pretty good. But I think he was going for the man's head. And what did Jesus say? Uh-uh, don't do this. This must happen. I've got to do it. And Peter made a knee-jerk reaction that would have ultimately uh, hindered the will of God had he been successful in defeating the entire force that was coming against him. But however, he said, put your sword away. That's not what we're doing right now. Put it back. So there are times whenever we are faced with difficult times in order to fulfill a greater purpose and a greater good in the future that God it may choose to reveal to you in the future. But also, this is something else we need to understand. A lot of times whenever we go through a crisis, we go through difficult times, it is as a result of sinful behavior on our own part. Sometimes we suffer because of somebody else's sinful behavior, and that is true. But we also have to understand that we need to recognize that if it is a result of my own sinful behavior, then we must recognize what that is and still, and still follow through with seeking God's face. And we see this with the, the thief on the cross. The thief on the cross, one was blaspheming Jesus, and the other one says, do you have no fear of God, man? It's like we are here justly for what we have done. We have deserved to be hanging on this cross. He is completely innocent. And then he, and he, and he of course, he prays and he says, and he, and he tells Jesus, just remember me when you get into paradise. And he said, now, and what he said was, is that for today you will be with me in paradise. Now, I also want us to see that even though we may follow the example of Jehoshaphat here and, and follow and, and seek God's face, even in the time of a crisis, that is never a guarantee that the crisis will go away. 
It's not. You may have to bear it. Did the crisis go away for the thief on the cross? No. But however, he got to die peacefully knowing that whenever he closed his eyes in death that he would be with Jesus in paradise. So however, we, can, we, we, we see God's face in times of crisis, whether it is a result of our own sinful behavior, we see God's face in repentance and faith towards him as well as whenever we are living our lives according to what God's will and purpose is and our plan and, time and difficult times come upon us, we still see God's face. So whether it's a result of sinful behavior or whether or not God needs to pull you through this, we always seek God's face and what he desires for us. And that's exactly what we have found Jehoshaphat and the people of Judah is they set themselves to seek God and seek God for help as opposed to going to worldly sources, going to other nations to build an army, putting, out, putting their faith in their own hand and assembling an army to go down and meet them. They go to God first. God, what are we going to do? We have no power against this great multitude. Help us, please. And does God speak and does God help? Well, I'm glad you asked because we're going to continue. All right, so starting, so, so leaving off there in verse 13 where they are waiting with their women and their children as they have closed their prayer off and they are waiting to hear from God. It says, Then the Spirit of the Lord came upon Jehaziel, the son of Zechariah, the son of Benaiah, the son of Jeel, the son of um, Mataniah, a Levite of the sons of Asaph, in the midst of the assembly. So the Spirit of the Lord came unto Jehaziel, in verse 15, and he said, Listen, all you of Judah, you inhabitants of Jerusalem, and you, King Jehoshaphat. So whenever he began to speak, he's, he has gotten a message from the Lord, and he is about to speak. Now he addresses the people of Judah, the inhabitants of Jerusalem in the capital city, and even the king Jehoshaphat. Well, that, needs to, that needs to be a lesson to us. Whenever God speaks, everyone should listen. Whether you're a king or whether you are a peasant, it doesn't matter. When God speaks, you listen. And whenever, and whenever Jehaziel, he said, all right, listen up, all you Judah, all you in Jerusalem, and even you, King Jehoshaphat, God is about to speak to you. And he goes on with this. He says, thus says the Lord to you, do not be afraid or dismayed because of this great multitude, for the battle is not yours, but God's. Tomorrow go down against them. They will surely come up by the ascent of Ziz, and you will find them at the end of the brook before the wilderness of Jeruel. Verse 17, you will need not to fight in this battle. Position yourselves, stand still, and see the salvation of the Lord who is with you. O Judah and Jerusalem, do not fear or be dismayed. Tomorrow go out against them, for the Lord is with you. All right, now God has spoken. They have prayed. They've sought God's face. They've sought him for help. They've given him, they've given him the rundown on what's going on, and now they have waited. Now God has spoken, and he has given very clear instruction on what they are to do. Very clear instruction. So what are they to do? Well, after the wait, God answers their prayer. They are to come down from Jerusalem and to meet them in the wilderness of Jeruel. But not only that, God says, look, this was no surprise to me. Yes, I understand they caught you off guard and they're in your backyard, but I knew they were coming all along. As a matter of fact, I know where they are coming up. 
They're in, in, in Gedi, which you understand and you know where they are, but I'm telling you, they're going to come up the ascent of Ziz. Now, I need you to head south down to the wilderness of Jeruel, and that's where you are going to meet them. You're not going to have to fight. I need you to position yourself, stand still, and see the salvation of the Lord. Now, is God requiring something of Judah and Jehoshaphat? Is he requiring action? Absolutely. Absolutely. So, they, so he, they're having to be obedient to God because God has given direction in this time of crisis. So whenever we found out what the crisis was, what we talked about earlier is we must take, act, take action. We must take action and seek God, but whenever God reveals what we are to do through his word and the, and the leadership of the Holy Spirit, we have a duty and responsibility to be obedient to what God has called us to do, even in a time of crisis. You know, there's that saying, well, as long as you have faith, everything will be okay, right? That doesn't mean you just get to sit and just believe God's going to take care of everything. God is calling you to do something. Now, God may handle everything without, without, without you, but in this certain sense, God is asking them to exercise their faith and obedience by going down and meeting an army in the wilderness of Jeruel. Okay, so we do have a duty and responsibility, even in, in a time of crisis, so, so, so during a time of crisis, we must always seek to be obedient. So he goes on to say, he says, look, you're, they're going to be coming up the ascent of Ziz here. He says, look, this is where they're coming up, and this is where I need you to go down, and I need you to meet them. So you can kind of see that the, the entire time that they've been going north, since they've been in Judah, has been on the low ground by the water, and that's probably how they were able to infiltrate so far without being noticed because they had the low ground. But now they have to get up on the high ground to get to the battlefield of where they're going to, um, they're going to launch their attack. And God says, look, they're coming up right here. I know where they're coming, and I know where they're going to be tomorrow morning. So therefore, I need you to get down, head south, go to the wilderness of Jeruel, and you'll meet them at a brook there. Now, God also said, the battle is not yours, but this is God's. You're not going to have to fight in this battle. But however... You do have to position yourselves ahead of them. Go down and meet them. Now, is that a scary thing? Yeah. Because who are they facing? People like that. Okay, that's your 800, that's a, that's your 800 BC type of army that you're going to be facing. And you've got a huge army with shields and spears and and, uh, and bow and arrows and swords and, you know, armor. I, I don't like that. I don't like going to, going to battle on a leather skirt with some, sheet, with some sheet metal and a sword. If I can get to the guy before, I'm okay. I'm just worried about getting hit by the sword first. This is not an easy task for them to do. God is requiring obedience, and they have a duty to obey God, but it's not always going to be something that is easy. So God is asking them, to get prepared, get up in the next morning, go down to the wilderness of Jeruel and meet this army, an army that is going to smash you if you try to fight. It's a big deal. So yes, they are still, ha even though God is going to fight for them, they're not going to have to fight. This still takes a lot of confidence in who God is and what he has said, is God really going to come through? They have to believe that. 
to go stand in front of them. They already know that the army is too big for them to handle. All right. So, um, so as we continue to see here, their position in this, their obedience, is to position themselves and stand still and see the salvation of the Lord. O Judah and Jerusalem, do not fear or be dismayed, for tomorrow go out against them, for your Lord is with you. It's a tall order, but however, their God can handle it. Our God can handle this. They just have to step in obedience and trust God through it. So, so how, do, how do they react to this? Let's take a look in verse 18. So now they've prayed. They've, got, they've gotten the crisis identified as something they cannot handle. They realize that. They pray to God. God, we cannot deal with this multitude, but our eyes are upon you. Now, God has spoken. He says, don't, don't, don't fear, okay? I need you to go against them. Meet them in the wilderness of Jeruel, and uh, I will fight for you, but just don't be fearful. Go and meet them in the wilderness, now, what is their reaction to that? Once they have heard the word of God and, they're tell- and God has told them to go out and meet an army to which they have no strength against them on their own, in verse 18, it says, And Jehoshaphat bowed his head with his face to the ground, and all Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem bowed before the Lord, worshiping the Lord. You can almost see Jehoshaphat maybe not just simply bowing, but collapsing in relief here as he bows his face to the ground and all of Judah the same thing they bow before the Lord their God and they're worshiping God God has spoken and we see this kind of a relief in the people it says then the Levites of the children of the Kohathites and the children of the Korahites they stood up to praise the Lord God of Israel with voices loud and high what's happening here is that God has spoken, and they are worshiping because of what God has said. My question is, is the threat still there? Yes. Have they been defeated yet? No, they haven't. But they are celebrating, and they are worshiping God as if what God has said is going to come true. They are worshiping God as if it has already happened, as if the victory is already theirs, because God has spoken. If God has spoken, I want you to understand that it is good as done. That whenever God teaches us, whenever God speaks to us through his word here, that we can step out in obedience to this word, knowing that the results are going to lie in God's hands. They are celebrating. They are relieved because they really, truly believe that God did not lie to them. And nothing's even happened yet. They haven't gone out to the wilderness, but they know they still have their part to do. And so in verse 20, so they rose up early in the morning and went into the wilderness. Notice they didn't sleep in, but they were eager to get this thing done. They were eager to see the salvation of the Lord. So they get up early in the morning and they go to the wilderness, to the wilderness of Tekoa. And as they went out, Jehoshaphat stood and he said, now if if there's a time to get cold feet, right now is the time right? Yeah, this is kind of where your nerves get. Sometimes you can be excited about something. I know whenever I go to a competition in jiu-jitsu, I feel confident. I'm really good. But whenever it comes to stepping out on that mat and bumping hands with the guy and going, the nerves go, go like crazy. And I can imagine that the people of Judah are the same way. They are stepping out in obedience because God has called them to. But man, they are stepping out in faith 
They are stepping out against a fierce army. And if it's a time to have cold feet, most likely this is, what's going, this is where it's going to be. And so Jehoshaphat, he, he, he gives them a little pep talk here. He says, hear me, O Judah, and the inhabitants of Jerusalem. Believe in the Lord your God, and you shall be established. Believe his prophets, and you shall prosper. I don't believe that he spoke it in a way, believe the Lord your God, and you shall be established. I can almost see as a charge to, the, to his men. You know, he may, he may even be shouting this, you know, believe in the Lord your God and be established. Believe in the prophets and you shall prosper. And I can see the men cheering as he is saying this. And they're, and they're preparing and they're going off into battle. Yes, it's speculation, but that's my imagination, right? I see these men, these are men who are excited about doing what God is called to do. They're excited about seeing God work. Yes, it is a time of crisis. Yes, they are being faced with an enemy that is too big for them to handle. But however, God has spoken. God is going to give them the victory. He's telling them, do not fear. Just go against them and see, and see, the, see the salvation of the Lord by positioning yourself in front of them and stand still. And now we see that, um, that Jehoshaphat, the king, the leader of the people of Judah, is now saying and, 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 and giving them a pep talk and confirming and giving them an assurance here. Believe the Lord your God and be established. Believe his prophets and you shall prosper. And now they're ready to go. So we saw the worship before battle that actually has taken place here. And as we continue on here, now, God has spoken, and he's given them a pretty tall order to feel. Go out against an army that you cannot defeat. And in verse 21, it says, When he had consulted with the people, he appointed those who should sing to the Lord and who should praise the beauty of his holiness. And as they went out before the army and were saying, Praise the Lord, for his mercy endures forever. Something is very important that we need to see here is Jehoshaphat did not have a plan B. He did not have a plan B. God's plan was sufficient. God's plan was the plan that he was going with. Jehoshaphat is not getting the men of valor. He's not getting his strongest warriors. He's not saying, grab your swords, grab your shields, grab your, um, your bow and arrows, get the catapults loaded up, just in case God doesn't come through. Just in case God was lying when he said he was going to fight the battle. I want you to understand, whenever we have God's direction, God's clear direction, there's never a need for a plan B. Never a need for a plan B. And Jehoshaphat saw that. Because as, as opposed to gathering the army that he could put together, that he knew wouldn't, wouldn't defeat the army, but just in case he needed to give himself at least a chance, he didn't, he didn't do that. He didn't try to, to make his odds better by doing what he thought might give them a better advantage in case he may have needed to escape, in case God just didn't come through. No, he believed God. And instead of gathering an army, he puts together a praise band. He puts together a praise band. He appoints the people who will sing. He appoints people who will praise. It's, a, it's actually as if he really believes what God is saying is true. Wow. What a way to handle a crisis, right? 
What a great example for us to to apply to our our own lives. On a day-to-day basis, we need to stand firm in the presence of God and be obedient to what he says. So to wrap things up this morning, for our way to deal with the time of crisis, according to the example here, we see that once we've identified it, we must take action. Taking action requires us as children of God to seek God's help. Seek God's face. Actually, whether times are going good or whether times are going bad, we always seek God's face and make it a daily practice in order that you can be prepared as Jehoshaphat and the people of Judah were. Be prepared, but always seek God's face, especially in a time of crisis. Seek God's direction. And when God speaks through his word and the leadership of the Holy Spirit, we have a duty and an obligation to God to follow through with his clearly spelled out direction as put to us in God's word. And we must understand that God is not lying to you. God's plan is the best plan. We don't need a plan B. Follow through with what God has said. The only reason we would, we, would, we would bring up a plan B is if we truly don't believe that God's way is the best way or that God's way is going to bring him ultimate glory and honor. So plan A is always God's way. When we're faced with a multitude that's coming up against us that we don't know what to do, we keep our eyes upon him. And when he speaks, we must position ourselves in obedience and stand still in order to see the salvation of the Lord. Now, does that always mean that your enemies are going to be wiped out? No. Does it always mean that the crisis is going to go away immediately, eventually, or even ever? No. But how you deal with the crisis is you seek God's face and you continue in a path of obedience to him through it. Now, is it possible to get victories? Absolutely. But it's always according to God's will and purpose that we seek to find. And though I may have to suffer, if that brings an ultimate glory to God and for who he is and what he wants to do in my life and through my life to reach other people, then so be it. But however, I must never fail to seek his face or walk in obedience to his word. So how do you respond to a crisis? Seek his face and be, be obedient to his word. Let's stand, let's have a hymn of invitation. Father, we want to thank you so much for this This morning, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your truth. God, we thank you for that you are the God that that you are, Father, strong, mighty, and true. Father, help us to realize that whenever you have spoken, whenever you've given direction, that we don't need a plan B, that your way is always the best way. God, may, may we hear from you this morning. Father, may you may be directing someone's heart through salvation. You may be directing someone's heart through a difficult time in their lives, Father. Father, I pray that if you've spoken to their hearts, that they'll do business with you even now. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.